Easy. Wow. Aren't we lucky to have heard that original recording of a man riding his horse to Canterbury back in 1527. Brilliant. Because back then they used horses to get around rather than cars. Fascinating. Hello and welcome back to the final couplet with me, Theo Cowan. Here we are again. This time it's Sonnet 17 and I've got some fantastic news. This is the last in the series of sonnets about having a child. Now, I have no doubt the theme will return at some point. We'll probably have another 30 sonnets on it at some point. But I do know that the next sonnet, which, by the way, a little spoiler here, is is a very well-known one, one of the biggies, is not, I repeat, not about having a child. We've We've done it. Well, not quite, because today's is about having a child. But it is the last one. And I am thrilled to dive into this one. Let's have a listen to Sonnet 17, shall we? Sonnet 17. Who will believe my verse in time to come if it were filled with your most high deserts? Though yet heaven knows it is but as a tomb which hides your life and shows not half your parts. If I could write the beauty of your eyes and in fresh numbers number all your graces, the age to come would say, this poet lies. Such heavenly touches ne'er touched earthly faces. So should my papers, yellowed with their age, be scorned like old men of less truth than tongue and your true rights be termed a poet's rage and stretched metre of an antique song. But were some child of yours alive that time, you should live twice, in it and in my rhyme. There it is, Sonnet 17. Not as flowery as as we've known Shakespeare to be in previous sonnets. He's not bringing in the elements, Mother Nature, you know, trees and flowers and all that, but he is talking about his poetry. He's sort of looking back on his on his previous poems, maybe, and, and, and saying, you know, I've described you as, as being beautiful and, and, and gorgeous and and people won't even believe me if if they read these poems in the future. People won't even believe how gorgeous you are. And it's a bit meta, isn't it? Because we are reading the poems in the future. Crazy. So here's a little question. Maybe drop an email to... Uh, I podcast doesn't have an email address, but maybe just, just think in your head. Who have you been picturing as uh, John? Have you been picturing someone as John? Or have you... Uh, just been imagining a generically gorgeous man. It's uh, it's just something to think about, isn't it? Anyway, let's work out what the hell's going on in Sonnet 17. 
So it starts with, Who will believe my verse in time to come if it were filled with your most high deserts? So here it's just it's just saying, you know, in the future, who will believe my poetry if it if it describes how how beautiful you are, how brilliant you are? Though yet heaven knows it is but as a tomb which hides your life and shows not half your parts. Which means, you know, my poetry is a tomb that actually it's actually hiding what you're really like. Uh, and it can't even it can't even show your your true beauty, brilliance, amazingness. It can only show a little part of it. If I could write the beauty of your eyes, and in fresh numbers number all your graces, the age to come would say, This poet lies, such heavenly touches ne'er touched heavenly faces. So here he's sort of continuing on the same theme. If He's saying, if, if I could, you know, capture in my writing... Uh, how how amazing you are, how beautiful your eyes are, especially your eyes, and and write new bits of poetry that list, you know, all the ways in which you are amazing, people wouldn't believe me in the future. So they'd read this in the future and go, that's ridiculous. They would say, actually, this poet is a liar. No human face could look as heavenly as he's describing in his poems. So should my papers, yellowed with their age, be scorned like old men of less truth than tongue? So, you know, should my old, my old poems, yellowed with age, you know, like you'd do at school, you'd sort of, to make a to make a a document look old you you cover it in coffee and, and maybe burn the edges that's how i imagine it it looks in the future his his poems uh they would be scorned those poems like old men that just rattle on and on and don't actually have anything to say anything of worth to say you know like your 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 granddad you know, when he just keeps on talking, it's not actually really saying anything. Just like that. And your true rights be termed a poet's rage and stretched metre of an antique song. I'm saying stretched because it's got a little accent above the E and I, I like to say, I like to pronounce that ed, stretched. Now, I know some people would just go with stretched. Each to their own. But I'd like to add a bit of flair in there. Anyway, what does it mean? It means your true likeness would just be be termed uh, a, a poet's madness. Um, and false, fake, fake verses uh, of an old, of a bloody old song. Fake verses of an old song, that's what it would be termed. And now we move on to the final couplet, of course. But were some child of yours alive that time, you should live twice, 
in it and in my rhyme. So here, of course, bringing in the old child at the end. But if, you know, you had a kid that were that, were, that, that was alive in the future, you'd actually live twice. You'd live through that kid and my poetry. So that'd be good, wouldn't it? Because who wouldn't want to live twice? Weird that he says you should live twice in it. Just the child is it. Seems a bit quite blunt. Um, but I guess he's just trying to make a point, isn't he? I'd say them. I would probably put put them. So, you, so if I were to rewrite this now, I'd probably say, you know, you should live twice in them and in my rhyme. Nicer, bit nicer. Anyway, that is Sonnet 17. I think that's a, it's a good one. I, I enjoyed it. it he's sort of self-deprecating in a way, saying, oh, my poetry can't possibly live up to how beautiful you are. I can't possibly describe how amazing you are in my poetry. Oh, but then at the end, he is saying my poems will make you live on will give you, you know, eternal life. So he is sort of putting himself down, but then in the end he's sort of going, actually, no, it is bloody good. It's bloody good. Anyway, let's finish off. Let's tie up our story, shall we? If you remember last week, uh, Shakespeare and John were still in the nag's head and Shakespeare's, you know, got all these candles lit and it's very romantic and they, they've kissed. And then Shakespeare has said, no, but I do need you to have a kid. And he's just read him sonnet 16 to to just reiterate to John that he, he still does need to have a kid. So that's where we left off. Let's find out what happens next. Shakespeare finishes reading Sonnet 16 to John. John says, I understand, Shakespeare, I understand. You love me, but you also want me to have a kid. I get it. I get it. And Shakespeare says, thank you for understanding. It means a lot. And they kiss again. They kiss and they kiss and they cry and they kiss some more. Eventually, John says, I must go. I love you, Shakespeare, but I must go and have a child. And Shakespeare says, oh, I love you too, John. Go forth and have child. Please. And John, with a little bow, leaves Shakespeare in the empty nag's head, surrounded by candles. Six months later, Shakespeare is sat at the dining room table with his wife. He's been plucking up the courage to ask her why her stomach has grown so big. Shakespeare's wife says, more coffee, Bill. 
And Shakespeare says, no. I need to ask you something. Why is your stomach so bloody big? And Shakespeare's wife says, oh, just I've just been eating a little bit more recently. Put on a bit of weight around the in just in the stomach area, mainly in the stomach area. And Shakespeare says, I don't believe you. And she says, Okay, I'm going to tell you the truth. But first, we should have John come round. And Shakespeare says, Why John? Wait, why John? And she says, All will be revealed. So they send a message to John and wait for quite a long time in silence while that message gets sent to John and then he reads it and then John and then John rides back on he's on a horse and he rides back John arrives at the Shakespeare residence Shakespeare opens the door and says come on in what's going on and John says i don't bloody know what's going on why am i at your house and Shakespeare says, well, my wife is saying that you need to explain something. And John enters the house and goes, your wife is this woman. This woman is your wife. And Shakespeare says, yeah, that's my wife. And John says, but that's the mother of my child, my future child. And Shakespeare says, what the hell are you talking about? And Shakespeare's wife says, let me, please let me speak, boys. Let me speak. She draws in a breath and says, look, Shakespeare, you know when you told me to read the sonnets to John and uh, make him have a kid? Well, I kind of fell in love with him and he kind of a bit fell in love with me and I didn't tell him I was your wife because you didn't want him, you, you didn't you didn't want me to and now here we are and John says bloody hell you're Shakespeare's wife this is crazy this is absolutely crazy and Shakespeare says bloody hell as well from me also this is crazy that is my wife and she's having your child. What is going on? And Shakespeare's wife says, I know it's, it's a lot to take in. And Shakespeare says, well, I guess now that we're all telling the truth, I better tell you I'm in love with John and, and John's in love with me. And, and we we see each other and we we've been dating kind of behind your back. And Shakespeare's wife says, what the hell? You two have been dating. And they both nod. Well, this is just ridiculous. My husband and the future father of my child are dating. What is going on? And suddenly all of them start shouting and screaming and, and clawing at each other and, and grabbing each other's hair and, and punching and kicking. Eventually... After hours of fighting, Shakespeare kicks John out of the house. He says, I'm done with you. This is disgusting behaviour. And then he 
takes his wife and he kicks her out too and says, I'm done with you as well. You are a cheating wife. And he slams the door. John and Shakespeare's now ex-wife are stood on the street. And she says, well, I guess we could maybe carry on. And John says, well, I, I sort of only really wanted you to have my kid. I wasn't actually that in love with you. I just wanted you to have my kid. And she says, brilliant. Great. Thanks. And they walk off in separate directions. One year later, Shakespeare's now ex-wife steps into the nag's head. In her arms, she carries a gorgeous little baby with lovely blue eyes and blonde locks of hair. She walks up to the bar and orders a pint of mead. To her right, she notices two men in the darkness of the pub. She squints. She thinks she recognises one of them. <gasps> she does. It's Bill Shakespeare. And who's that? It's a gorgeous young man in his early twenties with hazel eyes and dark black hair. He really is a hell of a specimen. And Shakespeare is muttering to him. Shakespeare's ex-wife picks up her mead and moves a little closer, hidden by the darkness. She can hear Shakespeare's voice now, and he's saying, Listen, listen, you are lovely. You're really a bloody good-looking guy. Uh, I've written a little sonnet that I think um, you might like. And the young man says, Oh, really? Oh, that's kind. I, well, uh, I, I'd love to hear it. And Shakespeare says, Of course. Of course. And he clears his throat stands up, takes Sonnet 17 from his back pocket and reads Sonnet 17 Who will believe my poetry in the future if it is filled with how amazing you are? Though my poems are like a tomb that hides what you are really like and only shows half of your brilliant qualities, if I could capture in my writing how beautiful your eyes are, and in new verses list all your incredible attributes, in the future people would say, this poet is lying, no face could look that hot. My poems, yellowed with age, would be scorned like old men who speak loads without actually saying anything of any worth and your true beauty would be dismissed as a poet's madness 
the fake verses of an old song. But if some kid of yours was still alive, you would love twice, through the kid and through my poems. Well, well, well. What a story that's been wrapped up there. To be honest, quite a lot to get through at the end there. The love triangle being revealed, the kid being born, everyone going their separate ways. And then do you get it? Do you get it? Because Shakespeare's in the pub and he's found another young man to make have a child. Do you get it? Because it's sort of full circle. Because he was doing that with John at the start of the story. It's bloody clever, actually. It is bloody clever storytelling from me. Almost as good as, as one of Shakespeare's classics. Anyway, next week, we've got a poem that, that's not about having a, a kid, which is good, isn't it? That's exciting. Something new. Until then, have a good time and goodbye.